You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast. And today we're talking about using the sword of the Spirit to deal with the forces of darkness in your fight of faith. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, New King James Version says this, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, we can read right over this, and we don't realize sometimes two members of the Godhead are mentioned here. Number one, the Holy Spirit, and number two, Jesus the Word is mentioned. He is the sum of the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit enables us to wield a spiritual sword against the unseen forces of darkness. Uh, If God gave us a sword, then He intended for us to use that sword. It's not a weapon that's optional. In order to thrive and prosper spiritually, we have to learn to use that sword. We're told numerous times to resist the devil, which implies that we're the ones who have to resist him in our lives. James chapter uh, 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You is the understood subject of the sentence. You are the one who has to resist the devil. God will be with you in your fight, but you're the one who has to resist him. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Uh, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist? Steadfast in the faith. Again, you is the understood subject of the sentence. You're the one who has to resist him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Again, the understood subject of the sentence is you. You neither give place to the devil. And then in Mark 16, 17, when Jesus spoke about the signs that follow believers, he said, in my name shall they cast out devils. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit does the casting out or that God does the casting out. He says, they shall cast out devils. We are the ones who have the authority. So when we stand against the enemy, there is a time when we have to be active with our faith. So how do we resist? Well, you can't do it without speaking. Because when the Scripture says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that word in the Greek here, the Word of God, could be one of two different words. There is the Logos of God, which is the sum total of God's words, and that's what Jesus is, or who Jesus is. In the whole of the text, it's Jesus. This book is a revelation, really, it's the essential nature of Jesus. It's all about Him. He's the theme. He's everything that God points us to in this book. So Jesus is the living Word. John identifies Him as such in in the beginning of his book. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. So Jesus is the Word. I was shocked as a new Christian when I read that. I thought, wow, I didn't know that Jesus preexisted with God. I thought He was born in Bethlehem. And, And if you have a very cursory knowledge of the Word, you may think the same thing, that He began at Bethlehem. But He's ancient. He's as 
as old as the Father Himself. Jesus was made flesh. In other words, He became a man. He was put into the womb of Mary. Then He became a human, and He was all God, all man. Not half God, half man. All God, all man. And he and that's a hard one to wrap your mind around too, but that's exactly what He was. He was everything a man could be, and He could do that uh, without excluding the other. In other words, Him being a man did not exclude Him from being God and vice versa. Now, as God, he had to lay down all the godlike powers, which is why he had to be baptized by the Holy Spirit in order to do miracles. He didn't do any miracles up until the age of 30, but when he was baptized of the Holy Spirit, he received the power to do miracles. So he was all God, all man, and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, he is employed when we speak the Word of God. In other words, if you want to bring Jesus into your fight, speak the Word when you resist the devil. It puts Jesus into your fight. And so the Word is the spoken Word. Here in Ephesians six seventeen, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema, R-H-E-M-A, the rhema or the spoken Word of God. And it's not the whole of the Bible, it's the spoken word. The word becomes powerful in you when you speak it. Now, we find out why the word is so powerful. Hebrews 4.12, King James Version. For the word of God, different word, this is not the rhema of God, this is the logos of God. For the logos of God is quick, it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Meaning that the word is a sword before you ever say it, but it doesn't do you any good until you believe it and say it. That's when you turn it into a weapon. So it before you ever get a hold of it, it is still a sword. But when you begin to speak it, it becomes a sword in your life for your purposes, for your benefit. It could sit on the shelf and have all the power that it had to create the universe, but it won't do you any good until you put it in your mouth. Now, why is the word pictured as a two-edged sword? One edge is the mouth of God. The other edge is your mouth, and that's when it becomes a sword with two edges. There are two mouths speaking, your mouth and the mouth of God. Now, it wouldn't matter what your mouth had to say if it wasn't for the fact that God said it first. But when God says it first and you follow saying what He said, then you give that word great power in your life. So the two edges represent the two mouths, the mouth of God and the mouth of the resisting believer. The Bible says in James 4, 7b, this is the New English Bible, stand up to the devil and he will turn and run. Now, this is how Jesus resisted Satan. And what Jesus did is he laid down footprints for all of us to follow. He showed us what we're supposed to do. That's the reason he had to lay down the power. The Bible says he became of no reputation, meaning he poured out the power. He didn't have miracle power when he was 12 years old. He didn't have miracle power when he was 27. Uh, he didn't have miracle power till he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to this temptation story of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel chapter 4, and I'm going to show you how he responded to temptation and trial. 
Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. We already talked about this in a previous series. Jesus had to be led by the Spirit to be tempted because he had no lust in his flesh. We are not that way. We can lust in our flesh, and so we don't have to be led by the Spirit to be tempted, but he did. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he afterward was hungry, very hungry. So he was in a weakened condition. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus quoted Scripture to resist the devil. He immediately did it. Now, let me show you here. What he did was he quoted something to drive Satan away and to stop that thought. Satan did not bring that temptation. People say, well, Satan continued to tempt him. Yeah, but he didn't come back with that temptation. That temptation was immediately ended when he spoke the word. So the response that he gave to the devil was extremely effective. Satan didn't try to use that again. Then the devil takes him up into the holy city sets him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it's written, He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Now I want you to notice both these temptations are designed to kill him. Uh, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Eating solid food would probably have created a fatal reaction in his digestive system. Uh, he would not have been able to handle that. And, and that's what Satan was trying to do. He's trying to kill him. How did Jesus answer the second temptation? Uh, the devil gave him this image, jump off the temple. The whole idea here is this is a shortcut. If you want to prove to all the Jewish leaders, and the chief priests and scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all these people that you really are who you say you are, the best way to do it is go right into town, get up on that pinnacle, they're all going to see you, and jump down and let the angels catch you. Of course they wouldn't have because Jesus would have been violating another teaching of Scripture with you don't tempt the Lord your God. You don't purposely put yourself in danger in order to prove anything. And so Jesus understood what was going on. He immediately resisted that temptation. Once again, he was 100% effective. The devil never came back to him on that occasion. So again, the devil takes him up to an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and says to him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And a lot of people think the devil is lying, but he wasn't. Those kingdoms were given to him by Adam when Adam sinned in the, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, he, he, he betrayed the authority God gave him into the hands of Satan. So how did Jesus answer? He said, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil leaves him. And behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Now this is what happens. God wants to send angels to you to help you, to lift your spirits, to bring you fresh new thoughts, to, to encourage you. But if you don't resist the devil, you'll never hear from him. That's why it's so important for you. And, and let me just say this. You may not even see them, probably won't. But 
but you'll have ideas, thoughts of victory, thoughts of things you'd never thought of before. Some of my greatest moments of inspiration came after a very heavy temptation. And I believe that angels actually came and delivered an idea to me. Unseen, but they delivered an idea to me. They delivered an answered prayer to me. Something uh, came to me that I'd never seen or thought of before. And that's what happened here with Jesus. The angels came and they ministered to him. Now he more than likely saw them. We don't always see them, but that doesn't mean they're not real. But they come when we resist the devil. You won't help resist the devil. You have to stand up and fight. There's an old saying, and it's kind of a, a funky saying. Sometimes people uh, discount it. But God helps the, them who help themselves. Uh, that's not always true, but there is a certain element of truth in it that God helps people when they stand up and fight. He wants to do the same thing for you. Fight the good fight of faith. That's all the time we have for today. See you tomorrow. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.